I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everyone, and it's good news for the Blues, and there's no more time to lose. Thank you all for taking your time out from having Spirits of the Blues probably blasting on repeat like it's been in our flat uh, to tune in to the latest Royal Blue podcast. I'm your host, Adam Jones, and I'm today joined by Sam Carroll, Dave Prentice, Chris Beasley, and Gab Buckland as we discuss a chart-topping hit for the Blues, uh, yet another Everton win, of course, at the weekend, and we look ahead to another game which is very close on the horizon for Everton. But Preno will kick off with uh, with the song "Spirit of the Blues" <laughs> is top of the UK iTunes chart and Twitter. I've got to say, has been absolutely hilarious over the past it, few days. It, to be honest, it, it, it's just made for a great weekend, doesn't it? I mean, we had the <laughs> Saturday afternoon which was, you know, a bit more attritional than we're used to, although gilded by James Rodriguez's absolutely magnificent pass. Uh, just made the game for me, that. But then it followed up with uh, the ladies beating Chelsea on Sunday afternoon in the FA Cup. So you think, wow, you know, what a great weekend this has been. And then suddenly, we see Spirits of the Blues, all these, like, videos, which were very, very good. And Diego Maradona kicked it off. Uh, well, that was the first one I saw. And then, mm. like, there just seemed to be hundreds of them, uh, you know, so different ones, like, so inventive, uh, minute after minute. And it's just like me, me son said, do you know it's actually climbing up the charts here? It's actually 41 in the charts. And I thought, oh, surely not. Then it goes up to 20. Then it goes up to 10. And then, you know, obviously everybody got on board then. 79 pence to download. Next thing, top of the iTunes charts. So it just made for a great weekend. And I used to underline the spirit, I mean, no pun intended, <laughs> around the football club at the moment. Uh, the fans are really enjoying themselves. It's fun to watch Everton and to be an Evertonian again. And it is, it's, it's, it's been a great start to the season and long may it continue. <laughs> Sam, like we've been watching Loads of these videos this morning, to be honest, haven't we? Uh, do you have a favourite one? Um, me, me dad's made one, which was decent. <laughs> Your dad's um, made one. Me, da- me, da- me dad was right onto it. So, so yeah. And if anyone's listening, Stewie nineteen seventy three, give that a little watch and a and a retweet. Um, Look at that. Look, it, there he is giving his dad a shout pers- out on the podcast. Personal PR, personal PR. Um, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I think it was just a great moment. Like I seen someone put on Twitter last night that it was tenth, and then. I looked at my phone and it said Preno was ringing me and you think, oh, this is never good. <laughs> and, and he's like, I've just bought it myself and then Danny wants me to buy it for him and, and Melanie wants to buy it. So it turns out we bought Spirit of the Blues for the whole household. <laughs> so I think Preno played a big part and then, and then my, my mum was, was buying it. So it was great. It was just, and then it, it, it reached number one. So yeah, as Preno said, you know what, just a, a genuinely boss weekend to, being Evertonian, I think you know. I was saying to so I went to the women's match yesterday, and I was I was saying to one of the other reporters there that when you support Everton, it, it, it obviously is a, a lifetime of, of misery that you sign up for. So this has been quite a nice kind of like 
this this is basically what it must be like to support any other football team ever. Actually, <laughs> actually give you some happiness sometimes. And to have a, to have that thing of you know even watching the Palace game, I still always felt like uh, we were going to win. Watching the ladies' team once we got it back to one one, I felt like we were going to win. And once we got second behind Miley Cyrus, I felt like we were going to win that as well. So it's been it's been the perfect hat trick. And I suppose Gav, the two lads have touched upon it there. You know, this is. This is something that Everton fans just love to see, isn't it? You know, it kind of reminds us that football is just there to be fun, isn't it? You know, we, we watch football to, to have, a, have a bit of a laugh and this I think this weekend has kind of topped it all off, hasn't it? I think fun's part of it. It's probably a little bit more than that, but yeah, it has been brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it's one, one of the things you can get away with when you won your first three games of the season, not lost the first three. Uh, I just thought it was brilliant. I mean, last night, I mean, social media can be a pretty dark place on occasion, especially at the moment. But last night, I think a tweet is in my life for a certain generation of Evan fans. It's probably the best evening following the club since you played Bayern Munich. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I did certainly felt like that. It was just really, really funny. Uh, you know, good to see I went off the charts and it was... Uh, you know, best thing about it, up a thousand and fifty-eight places as well. You know, <laughs> and you, you see everybody else is up one or two, and yeah, it was brilliant. And the videos, are, all the videos we've seen, have been brilliant and really imaginative. I like the one you posted this morning, the Simpsons, but the uh, uh, quality the Laurel and Hardy one is a personal uh, favourite. <laughs> and I can't believe you're about Laurel and Hardy on the Royal Blue podcast, by the way, but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a reminder that for all for all the seriousness, which I think it rightly gets our attention. People's lives, isn't it? It's uh, it can be fun mm. on occasions, and last night so, social media is made for things like that, isn't it? Uh, just mm. brilliant. Well done, everybody who contributed <laughs> to a memorable evening. Bees as spirits of the blues been blasting around your household this morning. I mean, we discussed this earlier. I mean. Um... When we're talking about the old school Everton tunes, um, Forever Everton for me, that's a, a personal favourite. But uh, yeah. yeah, like we're saying, it's obviously it's captured, you know, that, that feel good factor. It's, it's crept up um, very quickly over the last couple of weeks. We thought, you know, the, um, some really good buys over the summer went into the season with optimism. But, you know, it was that tough clash at Tottenham, a, a fixture which over the last few years have been very difficult for Everton so they've just built on that momentum from that 1-0 victory uh, at Tottenham and, and carried that on so don't, let's not forget how these five victories three of them have come away from home now so yeah it's, it's been um, terrific and like you say just sort of um, epitomises the you know the, the, the spirit amongst the fans at the moment mm. I mean, Bees will stick with you I mean we'll talk about the most recent of those victories uh, this weekend a 2-1 win over Crystal Palace. Now, what probably wasn't the best performance that we've seen from Everton this season, but that second half especially, it showed a lot of fight and resilience that maybe wasn't apparent all throughout last season, really, was it? Yeah, it was sort of like the antithesis of those um, half-hearted displays that we, we saw, um, unfortunately, um, after lockdown. I mean, obviously, there was huge debate over the penalty, and we'll go on to discuss that. But, you know, after Everton had got their noses back in head, ahead and 2-1 two, two up, yeah, like you said, it was a real resolute display. Um, I, thought, I thought there was um, a lot of um, testing moments from Crystal Palace's set pieces. You know, they were knocking it into the box quite a lot of times, and, you know, there was a few scrambles in there. But, um, yeah, in the in the end, it was a real hard-fought um Victory and uh, it said uh, no less satisfying than than any of us. What it does, it keeps that momentum going now into another big week with two uh, winnable home games. And uh, yeah, it really um, 
continues that momentum. And as Dave mentioned, obviously that, that, that pass alone from Hamas Rodriguez on, on his weak of his so-called weaker foot as well. I mean, yeah, just sort of shows the class in uh, the fellow and you know the different skill sets and uh, attributes that this Everton team are currently showing. Mm. And Prano, as B's quite rightly mentioned, there it's another away game, isn't it? You know, we've struggled for so long on the road over the last few years, but Carlo Ancelotti really seems to be turning the tide on this situation, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I, th- I think an awful lot of the credit for this has to go to the players that he's brought in. I think we said at the time, it's not just the quality of the players that he brings into the squad that makes the difference. It's the infectious attitude that, that has around the training pitch. I mean, when you see players like Alan and uh, Decore come in and obviously Rodriguez, um, it gives everybody else a little bit of a kick up the backside. They've got to raise their game just that little bit more every single day in training. And the interviews that we've heard have suggested that has been happening. Every training uh, session has been conducted at an absolute 100% because the players are looking over the shoulders now and they're realising that they're going to have to produce every single minute of every single training session to keep their places. Otherwise, you're going to have incidents like you know poor old Anthony Gordon who's been playing out of his skin and they can't even get in the squad on occasions uh, for certain matches, which underlines you know so how this infectious attitude is working. We had the situation at the weekend where you've even got um, Yerry Mina reprising his best Andy Gray and, uh, and, and trying to do you know so sort of diving headers on the floor, <laughs> you know, sort of full leverage. It just underlines again that the players are prepared to put in that little bit extra that maybe they weren't on occasions last season, certainly towards the end of the season. And to me, obviously, Ancelotti's had a lot to do with that in terms of his man management. But equally, the players that are being brought in have created an attitude. And it happens, you know, you only need one or two players that have that attitude, you know, correctly for it to be infectious and transmit around the squad. And then obviously confidence helps as well. You know, so when you've won a few games in succession, you believe that you can do it even more. And uh, we're doing that at the moment. You know, it was a, a very difficult game on Saturday. There was not as much quality as we've seen in the previous two games, but there was an awful lot more uh, guts, uh, you know, resilience, uh, resoluteness. Um, I mean, despite all the possession the Crystal Palace had in that last, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, uh, you never really saw them create anything massively clear cut uh, because there was like a real doggedness and a real will to win and a real desire. And, you know, much as we hark back sometimes, myself and Gavin, certainly, you know, to the, the great team of the mid-80s, we think of how many games that team won by digging in and by showing guts and by showing resilience. Great football team that they were, they could also fight as well. And, you know, to a, a smaller degree, we saw that a bit at the weekend as well, which is all heartening. You know, there's more than one way to win a football match. And we showed a different way of doing it at the weekend. Mm. And I suppose, Gav, we've got to talk about that winning goal. We've uh, referenced it a little bit earlier. Uh, come in quite controversial circumstances, of course. Like we've heard all the discussions about it uh, over the weekends. Think everybody's had their two cents about it. You know, the handball, the handball reel just seems to be a bit of a, a bit of a farce, to be honest. Now, doesn't it? It's worked in Everton's favour this time. But what do you, what do you make of it overall? We said it perfectly there. A bit of a farce, isn't it? Really, um, which when combined with VAR makes it even worse, doesn't it? You know, you've got two things. Two farcical systems or rules going on at the same time. One exacerbates the other. I, I mean, yeah, I don't like it. I mean, I only join what Steve Bruce said yesterday and what two or three other people have said quite publicly. I mean, it, it's this unnatural position, isn't it? But what is an unnatural position? That varies for players. Some players might be temporarily being in an unnatural position. 
and it, mm. it, it's still a very subjective thing for, for uh, referees. I think when you look at it, even it's it's half and half, isn't it? I mean, he's not exactly mm. sticking his arm up in the air, but then again, his arm's not close. But, you know, it's not really like a standing to attention, is he? Like, unlike the first one, you know, the first one with Ben Richarlison. Yeah, it, that was that was quite clear, like that. You know, that that wasn't on that so it was, um, this one was a bit more of a grey area. It, mm. it, it, it was one that even if they didn't have the rules, some referees would actually give a thing. Mm. Um, some some wouldn't. And the irony of it is that um, if he did not touch the ball, the Charlton was offside anyway. Continue yeah. said that is it that the play would have stopped anyway. Um, mm. That was the irony of it. Um, but I can only join the cause what other people said. It's it's, it's a farce. I mean, seen in the Spurs game yesterday, didn't you? Another one. Um, you know, it's just it just ruins the game for a lot of people and, and I can see why we benefited from it on Saturday might be our turn not to benefit it during you know in the next week or two but yeah it was um, it was it was giveable but the whole system is uh, is wrong isn't it Ad? Mm. I mean Sam as Gav rightly says there you know it wasn't just Everton who had this situation at the weekend obviously we saw a very similar incident in the Spurs v Newcastle game yesterday. Uh, there was a similar incident in the at, right at the end of the Brighton uh, against Manchester United game as well. It seemed like this weekend was almost a bit of a tipping point for this handball rule. Do you think? Do you think that maybe it just needs to be changed further down the line? It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because as long as it's benefiting Everton, I think just keep it, <laughs> <laughs> keep, it keep it rolling. Um, but it's, it's just tough to, to know what is right anymore. I've seen that someone had kind of had Gary Lineker off on Twitter today that a couple of years ago he'd kind of, he'd said the handball rule should just be changed to make it nice and simple. If it hits one on the arm, it's a pen or a free kick. And then yesterday he was obviously tweeting, you know, it's killing the game, it needs to be changed ASAP and stuff. And I think that kind of highlights for me, you know, I, I don't think anyone really knows what the best way forward is for me. And I think that's what's so difficult that, we can complain about this, but then a few years ago we were also complaining about the old interpretation, and so it's a difficult one, really. And I feel like it is going to just come round, and I think it'll probably bite every single team. Um, mm. uh, eventually, I think the they showed on match of the day yesterday that there was na- there was nineteen penalties for handball in the Premier League last season, but in Serie A and La Liga where they have the the VAR that last. Last season there was forty eight and forty six, something like that. So it shows you that you know it is a lot stricter. But I think for me the the, the worst part about it is, is it is now killing the thing of you know you, you celebrate goals and stuff like that. And but in the back of your mind you're like, hang on, is this you know going to get pulled back for you know? And and, and if it was an important goal for Everton, imagine a, a last minute winner in the derby, and all of a sudden they're checking a the handball on the halfway line where you know. Hammers isn't even looking at it, slaps him in the hand and it doesn't get given. So, you know, it, it is so difficult at the moment. So, you know, obviously there is something wrong and, and it needs fixing. But at the moment, I couldn't even begin to start where it, it should get changed or it should get fixed. It's, it's so difficult. Mm. I mean, Bees, if you were a defender now in, in, in trying to stop an attacker in the Premier League, where would you put your hands? You'd be going around like the Duke of Edinburgh with your arms behind your back all the time, wouldn't you? for our younger listeners. Um, but, um, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because, I mean, watching the game, the first one, I thought, no, no, he's not going to give that. But 
with, with the second one, I thought, no, there's, there's, there's a chance here. You often you, you wonder as well, because the first one wasn't given, um, because the referee goes over and has a look himself, doesn't he? He was invited over, mm-hmm. um, Kevin Friend, was it, to have to look on the screen by the, the side of the pitch. It, I mean, it, it is difficult, isn't it? I mean, yeah, unless you put yourself playing in straight jacket, your arms behind your back or something like that. I mean, what, what can you actually do? It, it, it's, very, it's very difficult um, if, if these are going to be given. I mean, the only thing we can say is that everyone's in the same boat, but it, it, it's, it's bizarre. And if, if you're getting, like, Sam quotes uh, possibly twice as many penalties or so. But I think, I think the, the real problem, as, as Sam also alluded to, is this when um, play gets um, taken back, whether it's a, a handball or, or something else. That's the, the big concern with VAR because, you know, is anything real anymore until, you know, a couple of minutes down the line and then everyone's had another look at it. It sort of takes away that immediacy from football. That's a, that's the big controversy for me and the, the issue that, we're, that we have to get over. I mean, whether it's handball or, or not, I mean, uh, whether we like the, the laws of the game there, that's what they are at the moment. It's, it's, it's this bringing back play. Um, um, I mean, you can almost have... Um, I think it's happened in the past where it's like a two-goal swing, isn't it? Because they could, mm. could disallow a goal at one end and then say, actually, it should have been a penalty down the other or something like that. So that, that for me, is the biggest issue that we have on VAR, regardless of what, what happened over this past weekend. And I think, Preno, as well, What another thing that people were making the point of is when the referee goes over to the side of the pitch, obviously he's seeing... he's seeing it all in slow motion and obviously things always look worse in slow motion, really, don't they? They do. It's, it's, it's been a bad weekend for the system, but it was introduced because they want consistency across the board and, and they've got consistency now, but they've gone too far. Um, I mean, OK, the, the Everton one, I, I thought there was every chance that was going to be given. Uh, not the first one that wasn't given, but you know the one that was, because his arm was away from his side. And it was a bit disingenuous of Roy Hodgson to complain so bitterly about it, given that he benefited seven days previously at Old Trafford from one which was, you know, so even harsher than that. And, you know, to the extent whereby even once he got the penalty, it was retaken because De Gea had like strayed half a yard off his line. So he's been a bit disingenuous there. Um, but just listening to, um, I think it was TalkSport this afternoon, and it just gave a little ray of, uh, of positivity in this this system was introduced in the Bundesliga before it happened in the Premier League and there was the usual absolute space of penalties, it like doubled by about 100% but then it's settled down again now and I think, you know, it's back to a similar kind of figure as it was pre this system because players are learning uh, they're basically, you know, like um, Chris said before, they are running around the penalty area with their arms right behind the backs. Um, you know, they're not leaping in natural positions as much as they can. Now, obviously, you can't rule that out totally. Poor Eric Dyer. I mean, what was he supposed to do there? That was just mm. absolutely ludicrous. You know, he had his back to the game. And it, I, I don't really know what you can do. It won't change, uh, certainly in the next 18 months, two years. Uh, because it's got to go before the FIFA board. They've got to rule on it. The next meeting isn't for, it's, it's about at least another six months. So it's not going to, you know, it's a change in time for this season, possibly not for next season. So we're stuck with it. So the players are going to have to learn to live with it, as we are as supporters as well. And mm. there are going to be occasions when you're going to get horribly wound up and really upset by it. 
Um, I mean, Brighton, what was going on at the weekend in that game? You know, a decision given after the final whistle had gone. You know, try and work that one out. But I suppose you could argue that justice, you know, in inverted commas, was done in the end because it was a handball and, you know, Morpé's hand was above his head. So we're going to suffer and we need to brace ourselves for that. Uh, we benefited at the weekend. Although, having said that, I could see that being given. I mean, when he ran across to the monitor, I, I was thinking, this is going to be given. It should be given. And it was. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, although having said that, to go off on a tangent completely, the commentary on Amazon Prime, was anybody else completely wound uh, up by that? I think Ali McQuist, oh. Ali McQuist must still be crying in his bedroom now. <laughs> we're, even trying to, we're even trying to make it an issue of Richarlison's run-up. Is he allowed yeah, to do yeah, what? Yeah. So yeah. Is he allowed to do what? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was, we're going to have to you know, get used to the fact that we're going to get wound up by a number of things this season. So it's not going to change. We're just going to have to put up with it. Just focus on the positives. You know, we've won a load of games. We've got Spirits of the Blues at number one and the ladies in the semi-finals <laughs> of the FA Cup. Life's good. Ali McCoy still did, like, as, like, Carlo Ancelotti, like, like... Robbed his house in the past or something. He was, he was absolutely any anything we did. He was just fuming, wasn't he? It was, but in the end, it made it even better just to know that he was crying sweet, sweet tears by the end of that game. <laughs> it, it was unusual. I was surprised at Clive Tilsley as well because obviously Clive, you know, those who are a little bit younger than myself won't remember. He started his career on Merseyside for Radio City, and it was very, very good uh, when Everton were in the glory days, reporting on them, and was always very positive about Everton. So I don't know what got into him at the weekend because he did really have a bee in his bonnet about that panel, didn't he? <laughs> and I mean, Gav, going back to probably a bit more positive matters on the pitch for Everton, Dominic Calvert Lewin on the score sheet again. Five goals already to start this season off. It's been perfect for him, really, hasn't it? It has. Uh, first since, I think, Tommy Lawton. I think to get five in his first three league games, I think there's only been, there's only four of us, I think, have done it in our in our history, in the top flight at least. So he's in great company. Uh, again, on, on Saturday, um, he didn't have exactly like a lot of touches of the ball. He didn't really affect the game. Uh, as you would expect um, but he was in the right place at the right time I mean he got a bit lucky with the finish to be honest with you I thought uh, the goal he should have done better those are the type of goals that go in isn't it when you're on a hot Scotland streak and then another day if you've you not scored for 10 games like you had like this recent one the goalie catches it so yeah in the right place at the right time that, that's the difference isn't it I mean I, I suspect this time last year Dominic may have been four or five yards behind the play Mm. There, but he got himself into a got himself, you know, he anticipated the ball better, and so uh, yeah, he, he got that reward and he was okay. I mean, some of his hold up play in the second half was like I thought was a bit patchy near the end, but mm. he, he did okay. And you can't ask for better than that, isn't he? The top scorer in Europe, but he was on Saturday night, or something like that. I believe, um, wouldn't be surprised, so, yeah, um, yeah, so good, uh, good goal, a uh, good finish, um. Uh, and generally quite a game for him as well to be honest with you mm. but who's complaining The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is The Deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
And Bees, we've talked a little bit about the build-up to the goal with James Rodriguez's pass, of course. But Seamus Coleman was the man who got this assist at the end of the day, and you know he's been he's been really good over these past few games, hasn't he? Yeah, I think people were wondering um, how he was going to combine with with Hammers in front of him. Um, obviously, for all the many many um, plus points that James Rodriguez uh, brings, um, one of them isn't necessarily. Um, covering every blade of grass and getting up and down. As he was noted, he didn't make a single sprint in inverted commas against <laughs> West Bromwich Albion. So people thinking, you know, Seamus Coleman, as great as he was, and particularly as a, as a younger man getting up and down, you know, the wrong side of 30 now, how's he going to cope with um, having to do all those overlaps and maybe um, track, have somebody who's not tracking back in front of him? But yeah, the dynamic is working really well and to be honest um, Seamus has been looking full, full of energy and um, some really good um, combinations getting up and down without um, obviously forgetting his, his defensive responsibility as well and it's, it's obviously it's a, it's a big year for, for Seamus um, Carlos come out and said what a great captain he is what a great inspiration mm. to the other players but I think from his own position now it was very much up in the air the, the right back role Gibriel Sadibi on loan last season and now John Joe Kenny's Come back, so you know, Seamus is having to to fight almost to prove that he, he, he's still at um, this level. I mean, he's still captain of Ireland as well, without always playing for them these days. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a big year for, for Seamus. I mean, he's potentially, you know, we keep going on about ending this trophy drought. You know, he could be the man to 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 lift that trophy if they do. So that'd be an absolutely huge um, occasion for him if that was to come. So, but I'm sure he's enjoying leading this team and leading this Everton Renaissance just right now. Mm. And Sam, we were discussing Seamus at the weekend where we and I were saying this was almost a little bit of a throwback performance in a way because he was up and down that line, but he's a bit of a different player now, isn't he? And he seems to be growing into that sort of new role that he's creating for himself, doesn't he? Yeah, I think there was a uh, there was a bit of a downer on Seamus maybe for the last 12 to 18 months, but I think what we're seeing at the moment is, is a lot of players, um, how much better they all look when they've got a midfield that can actually run, kick, tackle a football in, in, in front of them. And, you know, and I think Seamus is, you know, obviously we, we all accept that he's not going to be the kind of buccaneering full-back, you know, converted from a, well, moved back from that kind of initial right midfield position that Moyes put him when he first broke into the team because he was just so full of energy. And, you know, he, he got older and, and he won't be able to do that. But, you know, there's still very much a, a similar player in there who also understands, I think, his his defensive responsibilities and his, and his, you know, his responsibilities as a, a captain and a leader of, of the football club. So, you know, but it's, and it's not just Coleman either. I think Michael Keane has looked very good since the start of this season. You know, he looks like a bit of a change player, but I also do accept that I think you need to see it uh, over a prolonged period of time because we've said this about Keane now three or four times where you've been like, oh, he's playing well. And then he has a little bit of a dip in form and confidence. So hopefully he can keep that going. You know, Mina obviously struggled a little bit against West Brom, but I think other than that, he's he's been decent as well. And, and, and Luca Dean seems to be back to his best as well. I think he's kind of been another one that might have just because of how sexy the new signings have been, he might have just slipped under the radar a little bit about how good and how consistent he's been so far this season. And, you know, OK, lower league opposition, but I thought he was outstanding against Fleetwood Town. And for a man who's played for Barca and... and um, PSG and, and and the likes to just kind of slip into centre back, Fleetwood Town on a on a Wednesday night, no complaints, and put in the kind of performance he does. I think is a mark of his character and a testament to his professionalism. So, 
every single person in that back four is uh, is looking a lot better this season, and, and I think Seamus epitomises that. Mm. I mean, Preno, there would have been those at the start of the transfer window who thought maybe the signing a right back might have been a priority for Everton uh, this summer. But do you think maybe Seamus' performance is mixed with, obviously, with, I think, John Joe Kenny's been playing quite well when he's come in for the League Cup games as well. Do you think maybe that's changed a few minds? I think possibly it has. I mean, Seamus has surprised me this season. Uh, I don't mind admitting that I was one of the uh, people last season that thought maybe we've seen the best of Seamus Coleman now. Maybe the injury has finally done for him. And we're never going to quite see those effervescent performances again. But he has been superb this season. And he's had to have been because, you know, he's had to perform the way he has to allow Hammers to have that freedom in front of him. Uh, because, you know, he plays nominally off the right, even though he does like float all over the pitch, which means that there's an awful lot of uh, defensive responsibility placed on Seamus Coleman's shoulders, which he's, he's accepted and embraced and yet still found the energy and still found the penetration to get into the opposition box and create openings. And he's done that really. We're seeing the Seamus Coleman that we saw pre the broken leg now. Um, and I think maybe it just took that little bit of time for him to, to overcome that. And that uh, Carlo Ancelotti quote at the weekend about him being the best captain he's ever worked with. And this is a man who's worked with, you know, Sergio Ramart. He's worked with, you know, the, some of the greats, um, you know, so, uh, in world football. I don't think it was done as just like a cute psychological ploy. Uh, I think he genuinely meant it because, you know, Coleman has been absolutely excellent as a leader uh, and as a player. So, yeah, fair play. Not for the first time. I was completely and utterly wrong on that one. And, uh, and Coleman has been very, very good. Uh, John Joe Kenny, he's a decent backup. I still think possibly we need a bit more quality in there, but maybe I'm going to be wrong again on that one. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> Coleman especially has been excellent. Yeah, absolutely top class. And uh, helped, you know, as uh, I think Sam said earlier as well, by the fact that we do have uh, a much better midfield in front of the entire back four now. So they've got that confidence because they've got Alan Screen in them in front, because they've got Decore's energy. Uh, and it does help those guys at the back. Um, perform that bit better. Michael Keane was another who I thought was very, very good at the weekend. Uh, and I accept that we do need to see it more consistently from him. But yeah, he's looked a different player this season again as well. So once again, positives galore. You know, so things mm-hmm. are looking pretty good. Well, fingers crossed we can keep the momentum going for yet another game that Everton have got on the horizon. Everton are taking on West Ham at Goodison Park on Wednesday in the next round of the League Cup. And Gav, I think somebody mentioned it before, this is this is a winnable game, isn't it? Even if we were playing Barcelona of Guardiola, I'd say it's a winnable game for Everton at the moment, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we said on Friday that there's an international break, isn't there, after Saturday's fixtures, and these sorts of back-to-back League Cup games have fallen quite right for us, given the size of the squad that we've got, which I think Carlo said to overloaded, plus the fact that without a pre-season as such, players need to be given quite a bit of game time and, and I think that's enabled us to put out some really you know decent decent sense sides completely winnable for, for a number of reasons A home and B um, I'm not sure what team West Ham will put out on Wednesday mm. uh, given their resources and their perhaps projected struggle maybe this season be mm. interesting to see what how, how seriously they take it so it's a massive opportunity even if West Ham are, were a full strength um, and um, I'm not going to predict as yet, but hopefully we can. You know, it, it, it's it's a it's a more than winnable game. It's a game you would expect us to emerge victorious from. Mm-hmm. 
Bees, what like what what do you make of the West Ham game? Would you I know you've been an advocate for not making very many changes in the league cuff. Would you would you stick with that? Like would you would you try and play a strong team again for the visit of West Ham? Definitely for Premier League opponents. I mean, uh, like I said before, um, I called for a, a strong team against um, Salford City and then Carlo made a bit of a monkey off me, made 10 changes <laughs> and um, won with ease. And then I thought, well, go a little bit stronger um, away to Fleetwood, which which he did. And then he mm-hmm. won comfortably there. But then, yeah, I think for a game against a fellow Premier League team, I mean, whoever that is, or whether David Moyes is in the stadium or not, and, he, and I'm, I'm told he won't be because of that, he's going to be managing remotely, so, yeah, this is this is opened up for Everton, and um, this is, as, as it stands, Everton's best chance um, for glory, now we're winning, and you're through to the, um, is it the quarterfinals after that, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, um, yeah. so, Obviously, when you've won what you've won, all that Carlo Ancelotti's won the biggest prizes in the game, multiple Champions Leagues, um, tro- major trophies in all of Europe's big leagues, and um, perhaps the, the Carabao Cup isn't initially at the at the um, forefront of your priorities. But yeah, keep the run going, keep that momentum going, and as Gav says, whoever Everton will be playing at the moment, you'd like to think it was a winnable tie, but definitely the way it, it, it's opened up now, where I mean, you've got they've got to be going for this. I mean, you've got to start somewhere. I mean. Manchester City don't um, disrespect the, the, the League Cup and um, Pep Guardiola is always happy to try and keep that trophy count up and take that as seriously as possible okay he's got a lot more options in reserve but um, yeah I'd, 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 I'd go um, as strong as possible um, obviously he's going to be a few he'll know who possibly needs a rest and who to keep fresh at the weekend but you know I'd like to see uh, more or less you know a, a full strength team for this one mm. I mean, Sam, we could be seeing a, a few changes. You know, we could be seeing some strong players still come into the team again. You know, Niels and Kunku's obviously played very well over his League Cup appearances. Anthony Gordon's another one who's impressed in the League Cup. Bernard playing centrally has been playing really well in those games as well. You know, would you would you try and bring those three in again, or like would you try and keep, would you agree with Bees and try and keep it as strong as possible? I think you just need a mix. I think. You know, Nkunku has got to play. Um, Bernard probably got to play after his performance, Awobi. And I think if, if you do get a nice mix, then it can benefit you both ways because you're not going to get through a Premier League season without injuries, suspensions, dips in form. You know, so... And, and this is obviously what people have, have now realised, that you need a big squad to, to, to do well because obviously when that happens, if you've just got 11, 12, 13 lads, as obviously was the norm 20-odd years ago, then you struggle then when you need the others to come in. So, you know, hopefully we can keep winning matches um, with, with a couple of these lads playing. Maybe is it time for a Decore or an Allen to come in and kind of shore up the midfield? Maybe. But look, you know, that, that team that, that beat Fleetwood, you're going back to Goodison. I don't think West Ham are great even uh, with that result. A great result, obviously, for, for David Moyes yesterday. Um but Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin both started, Keane started, Dean started, albeit at centre-back. So, you know, I'd say the team probably would only maybe need one or two minor changes. And the rest of the lads, I think Kenny deserves to play as well. Um, so, you know, I'd probably bring in a centre-back for Dean, which will which will have to be Keane and we see how it's going. But, you know, people have pointed out that I think the League Cup was Mourinho's first trophy in England. Might have been Guardiola's as well. Um, but it's about getting that taste for winning and I do just think that as as the lads are saying here it's a it's a chance and 
you know, you do still have to get lucky with the draw, and we probably still are going to have to beat two or three teams of the so-called top six to, to win it if we want to win it. But once you've got that first taste of silverware with a manager like Carlo Ancelotti, you just don't know where this team could eventually go from what we've seen at the first three games of the season. But I'm not getting carried away yet, but probably will book me train to Wembley after this. Today. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, Preno, as Sam rightly says there, you know, this is, this is a massive opportunity for Everton. I feel like we say it every year when the League Cup comes around, but Everton have never won this top competition. And as Sam rightly says, you know, if you get that sort of winning feeling about this squad, then, you know, it really could have the have the opportunity to spitball into something much more in the future, couldn't it? Yeah, 100%. And then it comes from the manager, it comes from the very top. I mean, he's made it perfectly clear that, you know, he sees the, uh, this competition as an opportunity. Uh, we saw that with his team selection at Fleetwood. You know, we never expected to see Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin both in that starting lineup, and yet they were. And I think we'll see probably a slightly stronger side again. I mean, obviously, Bernard will come in and Konku will come in. Uh, Sigurdsson will come in. Uh, but I still think we'll see, you know, sort of smattering of the players that maybe played at the weekend. We've had an extra day to prepare. We West Ham played the last match on Sunday night, so they've only had you know literally two and a half, three days to get ready for this. So we might see a few more changes in their starting lineup than in ours. Um, but like you say, it's an opportunity. You know, if you can get through to the quarterfinals, it's then quite a long break uh, before the draw is made, or uh, before you know the, the the final you know sort of last eight games are played. And who knows? But Ancelotti's made it clear. You know, it's it's a big competition, so it should be. You know, it's an opportunity to win something. I mean, how many times have we been so frustrated in the past to see weakened teams, you know, selected and we go out at home to Norwich and we go out, you know, against teams that we, you know, deserve to have or should should have beaten. So, no, it should absolutely be you know, treated absolutely seriously. And uh, Carlo Ancelotti will take it seriously. And it's going to be tough, you know. So, we're second-guessing what, you know, David Moyes is going to select for his starting lineup. We don't know, to be perfectly honest. But you'd imagine, you know, they would see it as a bit of an opportunity themselves as well but you know you, you want a home draw you want a team you know like maybe West Ham so yeah let's uh, let, let's get behind it and you know it's in the hope that it you know so it goes away the only downside about it is it clashes with the Everton ladies semi-final <laughs> so you, you can't watch both uh, so I yeah. think the, the, the record button is going to have to be used on uh, on Wednesday night but yeah it is a big big opportunity and uh, I think it'll be treated as such uh, by the manager and by the players that he sends out mm. And Breno, we'll stick with you. It's time for the uh, for the customary predictions. Everton v West Ham at Goodison Park on Wednesday. What's uh, what you thinking? I wasn't too far away at the weekend. Was it? I went for three one, and uh, I just thought at the end we we're going to pinch another one and get it absolutely right. But, you know, two two one, I'll settle for. So this time, wow. It's a difficult one to call because again, these this competition, you don't know the strength of the uh, the respective lineups. I suspect West Ham will make a number of changes more than we will. I'm going to go with the momentum that is with Everton at the moment to continue. Oh. I would settle for a nice, comfortable, steady 2-0 home win. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. 2-0 to the Toffees. OK. Gav, what's your thinking? I've got to say, by the way, I got the prediction spot on for the, Pal- for the Palace game. So I, in our league table, I'm coming for you. So you better right, get okay. Yeah, can I, can I just say Ten only said 3-1 because I said 3-1 by the way <laughs> some sort of form of insurance because I'm I'm the, I'm the top guy you know <laughs> at this season copy me now, not for long not for long yeah 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 um, I, I think it's going to be more comfortable than what we think I'm going to go with 3-0 to the mighty blues okay yeah 
Love that. Bees, what are you thinking? Um, same as Dave, 2 0. 2 0. Sam? I think ugh, it's hard. It's hard sometimes because we're on such a good run. It's hard to be so optimistic. So I'm thinking it's going to go 6 0, but I'm going to play it safe with 3 1. <laughs> to, to Everton. I'm shocked. To, to, the, to the Blues. <laughs> Uh, I think it's going to be a little more comfortable than that. I'm going to go four-one to Everton. Wow! Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, predi- I'm predicting some goals, but like after after the antics from Pickford last weekend, I've, I've got not got much hope of a, of a clean sheet to be honest. But you know, I've, I've been wrong before, so we'll see. Uh, thank you, lads, for joining me for what's been another joyous edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm off to whack spirits of the blues back on for the rest of the day (laughs) (laughs) while I finish off this way and thank you all for joining us don't forget you can rate and review us on wherever you get your podcasts and you can subscribe to us and find us on Facebook and Twitter and make sure to send us loads of uh, spirits of the blues videos because we will enjoy probably every single one Uh, thank you for listening this has been the Royal Blue Podcast you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo